Well, good morning. Good to be together this morning, worshiping the Lord with you. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Sean. I serve as one of the pastors here uh, and eager to meet the Lord this morning as we study his word together uh, in the book of Matthew. Uh, we are going to be finishing Matthew 26 and beginning Matthew 27 this morning as we really consider a tale of two different men that have two very different outcomes of life. Uh, and it is, this passage is meant to capture our attention of what the Lord is intending to say, and even to the point of why it is in the Bible where it is. Uh, and so let's just go to the Lord and ask one more time for Him to meet us as we consider His Word. We recognize, Father, as we consider your words, this is your word. And we sit upon, we sit under it. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak this morning. I have no new words to say. You are faithful, and your word transforms. So may you use your word this morning powerfully in each of our lives for your glory's sake. Amen. Many of you know this because I've, I think I've actually talked about it before, and that is my superpower. Anybody remember my superpower? Being loud? <laughs> Unbelievable. I will take offense to that. Uh, huh? No, it is sleep. Okay, so sleeping is my superpower. I know uh, some, some reason when I'm tired, I fall asleep. I'm pretty sure that's what the Lord intended, uh, though I also recognize it's not what everybody experiences. And so I fall asleep fairly easily when I am tired. And Jessica likes to remind me of this reality. Early on in our marriage, we went to bed one night and laid in bed and kind of put my head on the pillow, put my hand on Jess and just say, I love. <laughs> Jessica supposedly rolls over, who do you love? <laughs> who do you love, Sean? Who do you love? Now, I don't know if you said it with that much emotion or not, but she always reminds me of this reality. I fell asleep right in the middle of saying, I love you. Um, unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, though that question of who do you love is, is actually the question this morning. It is the question as we consider two men, very similar, but two very different outcomes. And it really comes to this question as we consider these men, who do you love? Who do you love? And we're going to consider Peter and Judas this morning. And we're going to see two different loves. And I really believe that this passage, you can kind of imagine for a moment, step back for a second, and just kind of see where we're at. Uh, really, the passage right before what we're going to read here in a moment is Peter, is we have Jesus on trial before the Sanhedrin. 
So the religious leader is him on trial. And then after the passage of Judas, we're going to see him still on trial, but now before Pilate. The, the trial of Jesus is interjected with two stories of two men. I kind of want to say, isn't Jesus more important right now? But he interjects these stories for us to see his great and powerful wrath and love. Two very similar men with two different outcomes. Uh, kind of just consider with me for a second Peter and Judas. They were both, uh, both these men were called by Jesus to be one of his 12 disciples. They both spent three years of ministry living with Jesus. They were both taught directly by Jesus. They were both equipped for ministry by Jesus. They both proclaimed their devotion to Jesus. They both saw Jesus do miracles. They saw the power of him heal. They saw the power of him cast out demons. They saw the power uh, over nature itself. They then used Jesus' power to then do miracles of healing and casting out demons. Both preached Jesus was the Son of God. And both were sinners. Both betrayed Jesus at the very end of his life. And both experienced guilt for this sin. Strangely, one is just so respected, even to this day, that millions and millions have his name, Peter. One is so disrespected, nobody has his name. It's actually countries that have banned anyone having this name, Judas. Judas was sorry for his sin, and he ended his life with suicide, and he went to hell. Peter repented of his sin, and was eventually crucified upside down and went into glory. Two very different endings. So I want to ask us this morning, to consider the life of Peter and Judas through chapter 26. So I want us to spend a little bit more time recalling and remembering what has been happening in these men's life up until the point where we read this morning. That we may consider, why are these men so similar and so different. Uh, chapter 25, just to kind of bring a, a quick context, ends with Jesus talking about the final judgment, eternal life and eternal hell. Chapter 26 then begins with, well, the leaders sick of this man. The leaders sick of Jesus, uh, just really, they think he, he is so offensive to their hypocritical religion, and they want to arrest him. 
and kill him. So they start figuring out what does it look like to stop this Jesus. And while they were considering this, Jesus and his disciples went to Simon's house, if you recall. He went to Simon's house, and this woman, this woman came with oil unexpectedly and brought this perfume, which was very expensive, and anointed it and put it on Jesus. And in verse 8, it talks about how the disciples were very angry that she just poured expensive perfume on Jesus. Well, it states, we, we could have sold that and used the money to feed the poor. Wouldn't that have been a wiser use of that perfume? The book of John tells us that the disciple that was angry was Judas. And in John's account, after Judas says this, Jesus states, he says this not because he cares about the poor, but because he holds the money bag, and he has been taking what he wanted out of it. Judas is exposed. Just try, try your best to put yourself in Judas's shoes for a moment. To almost kind of try to consider what would this have felt like? What would this have been like? To this point, nobody really thought Judas was a thief. And the woman comes, pours this. He's like, come on, let's use that money for the poor. And, Judas, and Jesus just lays it out, exposes who he is. Yeah, I, I kind of think sometimes, don't you find it weird that when someone gets caught doing something wrong, often the first response is like anger? Like, what are you talking about? It's like self-denial almost, right? It's, it's really kind of strange. It seems like, why, why would you be angry? Like, you were the one doing something wrong. Um, but that idea of getting caught, there's just an emotional response. So, so here's Judas. He, he gets caught, and he's in front of the disciples, and, and everyone now knows what he's been doing. He's been stealing from the, from the bag. He loves money a lot, and he's here trying to convince people to give more money because he really wants to have more money, and he's exposed. Kind of imagine his, his disposition of, oh, I'm offended that you know the truth. <laughs> uh, but then consider Judas. Because as, as the woman pours the perfume, it states that Jesus, it says she was preparing him for burial. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. If a disciple loved Jesus because he was simply the Son of God, hearing that he was going to die would be perplexing. But if you loved Jesus for the things that Jesus would do for them, then hearing his death would just simply be 
really think the second is where Judas is. Judas is expecting Jesus, the Messiah, to conquer, as we remember, the Roman oppression, to restore the nation under Jesus' sole rule. And guess what? Judas was one of the special ones. He was one of the 12, riding the coattails of power and prominence. Come on, Jesus, let's do this. Let's take power. We're almost there, and you're going to die? What happens to all of Judas's expectations? What? Why am I following you? I'm not going to have that power. I'm not going to have that prominence. Judas's dreams are crushed. And now, in an angry, disappointed state, Judas goes to the chief priests, and he says, you want Jesus? What are you going to give me? And they give him 30 pieces of silver. The price of a slave. This is the son of God. And Judas accepts 30 pieces of silver. It almost, I mean, in a sense, it almost shows you how greed truly captured his heart. He just took whatever was given. How greed will often just force you mentally and emotionally to do things that are just completely unwise. But as you think about Judas, I, I almost have to kind of pause for a second and just and imagine it this way. Let's say you were working with me for three years. You had expectations of what you were going to receive. You had hopes for what that was going to look like after working with me for three years. And after three years, none of it comes to reality. Like, I can understand you would be very disappointed, but for you to just betray me unto death, like, that is a, there's a hatred involved. There's a hatred involved. And that's where Judas is. He's betrayed Jesus, showing there's a level of hatred towards him. Now, at this point, nobody actually knows about this betrayal that has happened, and Jesus is at the Passover meal, telling the disciples that one of them will betray him, if you remember and recall. And at the, at the table, Jesus does state that one will betray him. The disciples were burdened, and they kind of started going around one by one saying, no, 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 surely not I, Lord. Surely, surely not I, Lord. Surely not I, Lord. And Judas says, surely not I, Rabbi. Judas does not even call him Lord. He calls him teacher. After the Passover meal, they sing a song. They go outside, and Jesus tells the disciples this. You will all fall away because of me this night. And now enters Peter into the story. Peter responds to Jesus. 
And he says, though they all will fall away because of you, I will never fall away. <laughs> I mean, this is just the most prideful response ever. Like, you just think about it. Don't, like, couldn't Peter have said, wait a minute, well, I don't think we'll all fall away. I mean, I'll take up for my brothers here a little bit. I don't think they'll all fall away. I mean, I think we'll be good. I mean, we love you, Jesus. Like, you'd almost kind of assume that he would take, take up for his brothers. He didn't. He didn't all. He just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Though all will fall away, though all of them will probably fall away, Jesus, I will never fall away from you. Like, he just, my kids call that a burn, right? Like, what? You just... You just said they're all going to fall, but not you. Who are you, Peter, to just continually think that you know better than Jesus? But then, of course, it even gets better because Jesus says, uh, yeah, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're actually going to deny me three times. And again, Peter, in his prideful confidence, somehow thinks he can correct Jesus. And he just says, no, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. So Mr. Superhuman, Peter, walks to the garden. With Jesus, Jesus, as he's walking, is so troubled, he's burdened, literally to the point of feeling sick with what is going to occur. Jesus needs to go pray and asks Peter to stay awake and watch. Of course, if you remember, Jesus comes back, and he's not able to stay awake. He's sleeping. He wakes him up. He goes back out to pray. He comes back to Peter. He's sleeping again. He goes out. He prays. He comes back, and he has to wake him again. I think the reality is that Peter definitely thinks of himself better than he is. I think we would all agree with that. At this time, Jesus, when he wakes him, he says, the betrayer is at hand. Judas and the soldiers arrive. Judas greets Jesus with the kiss of death, and he betrays the Son of God. The soldiers then take Jesus away to Caiaphas, to take him away to the chief priest for a trial, and Peter follows them. Peter follows them to be able to see. It says that he goes to the court, and he watches. And he watches Jesus go in and be tried. He listens to the injustice, he hears them beat Jesus, spit in his face, and state that he must die because he claims to be the Son of God. And now we read in verse 69 of chapter 26. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, This man, he was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath, I do not 
know this man. An oath, God is my witness, I do not know this man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, hmm, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. You sound like one of them. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. I swear on my life, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Proverbs is wise to communicate that pride does go before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Peter would never deny him. Never will I. And he did. Uh, obviously, one aspect here is so essential, and that is for all of us for to never, ever, ever believe that we are just better than we think we are. <laughs> um, almost begs this question, is there anything in your life that you might consider you'll never do? I'll never cheat on that test. I'll never cheat against my spouse. I'll never have greed if I had enough money. I'll never deny Christ. I think this is where the saying never say never comes from. And I, and I think just the, just the point before we move on here is, is we still have indwelling sin even in Christ. While on earth, before Christ comes and we are glorified, we, there is indwelling sin. There is enmity in us that is still towards God, and we can never depend upon ourselves. We can never say, I got this. We can never say, I'm strong enough. Don't worry about it. That's not me. We have to always say, that could be me. And based upon the grace of Jesus to strengthen me, that won't be me. Depend upon him always. Let's continue reading in chapter 27. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. Now remember, before Peter's denial, we saw the fact that he was on a trial now we see, again, all the chief priests and elders, all 70, every single one of them coming and agreeing upon the death. We see where this story is going. These two verses are here to help us know this is still happening. Jesus' trial is still happening, and he's about to go to Pilate. And then verse 3, Then when Judas, has his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind 
and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and he hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, well, I mean, it's not, it's not lawful to put this into the treasury since it was blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood even to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Judas, convicted of his sin, like there for a moment, he comes back and Jesus is innocent. I've betrayed him. For a moment, you're like, yes, come on. Yes, Judas, turn. And then he hangs himself. You know, the book of Acts actually recounts the death of Judas. And it states in Acts that he fell headlong and he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. So we know with these two accounts, he hung himself. We don't know, did he just do a bad job of hanging himself and he fell? And his insides busted open? Did he just bloat so much while he was hanging? Got so heavy, the rope broke? Don't know, but we do know it was gruesome gruesome death. Then the priests, now Judas leaves, drops the money. The priests have this money. I mean, we all, I mean, we all kind of just, just seem so unbelievable to read what we read here in Scripture, right? I mean, they're in the middle of planning the murder of Jesus, unlawful, and they're, they're literally thinking, oh, we need to obey the law that I made up. Oh, we can't put blood money back in the treasurer. That's not lawful. Yeah, we gave it to kill, but we can't take it back. I mean, goodness, who would do that? That's like uh, appalling. I just, oh, you know, I read this and, and you just kind of sit for a moment. And one, that's just the epitome of legalism, right? We, we know that, that. What is legalism? That. But, oh, this was like a chance. This was a chance for the elders and to see. I mean, Judas comes and he's like, I got it wrong. He is innocent. Jesus is innocent. Take it back. I, we did something wrong. Hardness of the hearts. They just say, uh-uh going to stick with my vengeful spirit. 
and they decided to just buy the potter's field for strangers. I'm like, tell me real fast, why is that in the Bible? Like, we're in in the story, right? Trial, Peter's denial. Okay, the trial's still going on. Judas's life ends. We see that, okay, the, the hardness of the heart of the leaders not even willing to entertain the possibility of changing their mind, and then they just buy this potter's field. It kind of seems bizarre for a moment. I really think it is, as he has continued to be faithful throughout Scripture, particularly the, the Gospels here at the end, to show the fact that God is just in control of this narrative. God is in control of the narrative of this life, and it was spoken back from Jeremiah. Jeremiah and the book of Zechariah foretells this exact same thing. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. There's going to be these 30 pieces, and they're going to buy a field, and it's called the potter's field. What? And it happens. (laughs) Like, God is in control of this narrative. We may never forget, and I really think at the very end, he's just saying, God is in control of this narrative. Do not forget. Yeah, as as we consider just these two stories in the middle of Jesus' trial, just think about Jesus for a moment. He's, He's been spit upon beaten, and now it says they bind him to take him to Pilate. Why are they binding him? What has he done? Like, all he did was say, silent. You really think he's going to fight you? But they bind him, do everything they can to show dominion and power over this man. He's literally being tried and tortured He's being tried and tortured for the sins of the world, literally bearing the sins of the world in his body at the moment. And then we learn about Peter denying him and Judas Judas hanging himself. Why? Because God wants you to know. God wants you to know Jesus is dying for real sinners like Peter and Judas. Sinners like you. He is pointing out the fact that there is human weakness and it is sin against God. Do you relate? Yes, we relate. We are sinners. Okay, I see it. He is pointing out also his great mercy Because Judas had eternal damnation. And that eternal damnation we all deserve. But the gift of God is what Peter received. And that was forgiveness. So in the midst of the trial, he is saying, you are a sinner in need of me. And guess what? I'm doing it right now. Watch me. Holding your sin in my very body so that you too can have that forgiveness 
Peter just received. Like we had started this, the main difference between these two was who they loved. It was who they loved. Peter loved Jesus for Jesus. He loved Jesus because of who Jesus is. And that's it. That's it. Jesus was his Lord. He was the Son of God. And he loved him. Recall after the resurrection when Jesus came back. And he came to that fire that Peter was sitting around. And he came and he said to Peter, do you love me? Jesus said, Judas said, yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Peter grieved, remembering his denial. He didn't sit there and sulk. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. The love that Peter had for Jesus was that he was Jesus. He was the Son of God, his Lord, Lord of all, Savior, only hope, and that was it. And then we see he he went off after Jesus ascended. He preached an amazing sermon, and 3,000 were saved. The very church is built upon the confession of Peter. Praise God, not because he was a perfect human being. Uh Uh-uh! No, but he loved his Savior. He loved Jesus. And Judas loved what Jesus would do for Judas. Judas loved what Jesus would do for him. See the difference. See the difference. He loved him for the prominence, the money, maybe even the eternal life. And the moment his expectations of Jesus were not met, he just threw Jesus off. Hmm. Jesus became the problem. Now he hated him for it, and he lost all hope. Who do you relate with the most? Judas love is a real thing. Judas love is a real thing. Many proclaim to be Christians because Jesus is going to make their life better. Many do. Oh, it's going to bring me success. I'll I'll just have all the peace in the world, how I define it. I'll have all the happiness that I need, prosperity gospel, easy believism, all of this stuff. Jesus is going to make my life better. I love Jesus. I want Jesus because he's going to make my life better. Oh, oh, wait, oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Never love Jesus for what he will do for you. Wait, don't do that. Then let this passage state that. Because the moment the rug just gets pulled out 
from under your life. Life is just falling apart. Persecution is real. Professors at college are making you doubt your faith. You just kind of want to throw Jesus off at that point. Oh, well, I thought it was something different. That stuff is what caused Judas to hate Jesus. Because he did not love Jesus for who Jesus was. He loved him for what he would do for him. Oh, I could say so much about that, but I'm going to caution myself. And I do think we, we can all have tendencies, even with a Christian who loves Jesus, to go back there. To that thought process of, wait a minute. I just, may we always pause. No, don't. Fix your eyes on your Savior and love Him. Love Him. Now, how, church, how, how do you know? Like, think for a moment. How do you know if, if, if you're loving Him that way? How, how do you know if if you're not loving him for what he'll do for you, but instead loving him for who he is. One indicator, and you need to hear both points here, okay? One indicator, yes, as we read through this passage, and you probably heard it taught, is how we deal with conviction. So one indicator is how we can deal with conviction as we see here both Peter and Judas they both were very aware of their sin, right? Judas said, I sinned. Uh, I, I did this wrong. They, they were very aware of their sin. Yes, that is a point and an important aspect of repentance. They both were very remorseful of their sin. Both felt a guilt with their sin, right? So step one and step two, oh, be aware and be remorseful. But really, as you kind of look at this third aspect of kind of the difference here, it's how they handled that conviction. And one, Peter went down the road of allowing that guilt to lead him to Jesus. Judas allowed that guilt to lead him to find relief in something outside of Jesus. So two roads. Two roads happened. But, and this is why I said you need to hear, hear, hear both of these points here real quick, because this is an, I think it is right to say this is an indicator of what repentance looks like, is ensuring that awareness of sin and guilt, which we will all feel at very times, maybe even a question of, should I even live? Obviously, that's what Judas thought. He had that real thought, that a real emotion. So don't, don't tell yourself, oh my goodness, I should never have this thought. No, no, no. Whatever it is, guilt, great, run to Jesus. Guilt, awesome. Okay, cool, you and me, we're all the same. Go to Jesus. Okay, you did something wrong? Yeah, that's fine. Go to Jesus. We're a church who accepts one another, not because we're perfect, uh-uh, because we're all aware we're sinners, and we all just know we've got to go to Jesus. So repentance is, yes, being aware 
and being remorseful and going to Jesus. That, that is. But here, what we can't do is write a book right now and say the three steps of repentance. So now what are we all going to do? Well, if I do step one, I'm aware. If I do step two, I'm going to feel bad about it. Okay, run to Jesus. As if loving Jesus is just command. It's just like, I just obey. Give me the three steps of obedience, and I'll do those. Hey, church, that is not loving Jesus. Just obeying is not loving Jesus. You're like, wait a minute, Sean. I remember a verse out there. There's something out there. Isn't like John, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Right? Yeah, you're right. Listen, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Listen, listen. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Obeying the commandments has nothing to do with earning or finding your love in Jesus. Obeying is just simply the fruit of loving Jesus. So what should you focus on? Loving Jesus. That's what you focus on. What's your aim in life? Love Jesus. Love Jesus. That is the aim. Repentance and obedience is an overflow reaction of loving Jesus. good news. It's just good news, and it almost seems too easy. Well, I know. It almost seems too simple. What? Come on, I came to church. Give me like five things I need to do. No, simple message today. Love Jesus. You know, we, we, we know that the greatest command is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, but let's just as we kind of come to a conclusion, let's hang on for a moment. What does loving Jesus then look like? We, we kind of need something tangible, right? It can't be a rule. It can't be our matter of obedience. It's not, what, oh, oh, that's it. No, but, but we do need help. Okay, I got to love Jesus. Loving Jesus is my aim. God, help me out a little bit. What is that? look like, and let's just consider, in my opinion, one of the best places that Jesus, in his kindness, helped us understand what it looks like to love him. And it's Matthew 10, verse 37. Jesus says, whoever loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, for a moment, you're probably thinking, oh, wait a minute, I was waiting for like a, you know, two-step process, you know, lay it out here to love Jesus, but wait, wait, huh? Hey, listen, Jesus is instructing what it looks like to love him, what it looks like to love him, and, and take a step back, and just imagine, if you love your children more than me, you don't love me. So, don't focus, well, wait a minute, do I love my children more than him? I want you to focus on what does it look like to love your children. How do you love your children? Do you cherish your children? Do you treasure 
for those of you that want children, why do you want them? You know the blessing they're going to be? You orient your life around your kids. You would die for your kids. Great. Love Jesus that way. Treasure him. Cherish him. Orient your life for him. Be willing to die for him. Church, Mercy Hills. May we love and cherish Jesus for who Jesus is. He's the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the Great Shepherd, the one in control of the narrative of your life. All right, listen to Peter. One of the very first Verses he, re- he writes in 1 Peter 1, chapter 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your salvation of your souls. Oh, Jesus. Church, love this Jesus, your Jesus, for who He is, never for what He will do for you. May He be your all in all, your treasure. That's your aim today. That's your aim for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we we so, I I just see it in my my own heart. I want to I want to control something, and Lord, help us love you this morning. May our obedience and our repentance and our lived life just be the overflow of loving you. May you be our treasure. And Lord, we know we love you because you first loved us, so just let us see more of that first love. We pray.